We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Drafting another best ball mania four team trying to win three million dollars. That's what we're doing today on Stealing Finance at Ben Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. Posts are picking up, coming in hot and heavy for the subscribers there. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. Sean, we started this a couple weeks ago. Last week we had our pros, pros versus Joe's draft, but we wanted to you know get some drafts in in August here. Uh, so we're just gonna do more of these streams where we we draft talk through our picks build some underdog teams how you doing good good i uh just saw your post come out about everything you're gonna have in august i was working on an article where i mean the headline is that you know we're starting to get a player with a lot of echoes to jamal charles so if that interests anybody i mean obviously it's not going to be jamal charles but I mean, somebody very interesting there. So then I haven't had a chance to check that out as I was writing myself, but you're going to have all kinds of great stuff in August. I'm fired up for that. I'm fired up for our drafts as well. I, I can't wait to do some main events. Yes, yes, those are coming too. I got to say, I got I to say I'm fired up for your stuff too. Sean, you, I mean, people who have read you, listened to you for a long time, people who have listened to me talk about you know how I feel about you on this, but one of your greatest strengths is the player takes the player opinions. People I think have, have commented over the years sometimes that some of, you know, some of your opinions come out too late or this or that, or it's a little too cagey. Can't figure out Sean, you have been listing in every article, your players, this, this, this last month or so, every single article has been uh, lately has been a player focused. This is a guy you want to go get type of article. So if you're not subscribed over at Rotoviz, go to Sean's author page, start clicking through all of these because you can just read really deep breakdowns on players. It's all, I mean, this is the most, I feel like, uh, upfront. We can't get that complaint that we don't know who Sean actually wants this year. This is the most upfront you've ever been. It's very clear which guys that you're in on. I love that you use the word cagey. I'm not trying to be cagey-er. That's, that's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's been so much fun writing the different player pieces. And, you know, everything just fits together in such great puzzle pieces. I think in 2023 best ball redraft dynasty, the player evaluation. That's one of the things I've been talking with our staff about too, is just that 
I mean, let's not forget about that. That's in many ways the fun part. I, I love having a lot of teams. I love having the right portfolio. I love the structure and the strategy. And clearly, Ben, you and I have been talking about that since the birth of Ceiling Bananas, since we worked together at Rotoviz, since you know we each started in fantasy football. You obviously work a ton on that for Ceiling Signals. And yet, I mean, I'm not one of these player agnostic drafters. I, I like individual guys and when i sit down there on sunday i mean i'm rooting for my teams who are my guys and so anyway that part of it i do think is fun and yeah i mean i'm enjoying the start to august i'm enjoying these drafts we're gonna do some main events but we're gonna try to win this three million i haven't drafted with you for a long time i i will very much vouch for the fact that when you write these articles these are the guys you wind up on heavily and we've talked through the idea of diversification and those types of things you've been very upfront about your strategy which is to i mean you have no issue being pretty consolidated on on your guys and really being heavy on the players that you think are going to define the season across a lot of different teams and a lot you know putting a lot of stakes on that obviously with things like best ball you have to be a little bit more balanced you have to consider the thing you know when you're doing a lot of cheaper best ball drafts and yet i'm sure your best ball exposures are a lot higher than many other drafters high volume drafters around the league around the industry and it's the guys that you're writing about i mean that's that's the way it is like so anyway it's been exciting to see all of your uh pieces i'm excited for the jamal charles one i've been it's been a blast because you've been comparing them to like the next so-and-so and and so then i get to guess who i think it is and i'm pretty good at guessing them because i know i know how you think but i don't know who the next jamal charles is so i'm excited to read that one when it comes out has not come out quite yet as we're recording this sean should we jump in an underdog a bbm draft and we'll, we'll keep chatting here we'll get jumped in there we're gonna try and win three million dollars or 3.5 right i mean at some point i say this it seems pretty ludicrous i at some point someone's gonna win the regular season and the overall together i mean obviously the odds of that are very low and yet i mean we've seen some crazy stuff over the years in tournaments where i mean people go back to back People, you know, have multiple teams in the top five. And so uh, somebody winning both, sort of ludicrous, but not completely impossible. It could certainly happen. It is tough in the underdog structure where it's like, you know, the first part of it is total points. The second part is the individual weak advancement structure that it just feels very different, right? The two different, the two different contests feel very different. And yet, obviously, to win the first part of that, you have to have a really good team where you've hit on a lot of stuff and scored a ton of points. So you're well positioned for the second part of it. Sean, we draw the third pick. Let's say the draft's about to start here. We're going to be on the clock very shortly. If it goes Jefferson Chase to start, the third pick has gotten pretty interesting. I was taking Cup. He now has that hamstring injury. I know you're not super high on Tyreek Hill. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey is an option as well. He's a fun one to play particularly as it feels increasingly certain that Brock Purdy is going to be the guy. That's, I mean, pretty fantastic for McCaffrey's, you know, upside cases with a potential pass volume from Purdy as opposed to, say, a Trey Lance running the offense. Very big difference, I think, in the way that we would project. And you also get the Washington Week 17 correlation. Listeners know how much we love to play Sam Howell. So we can start some fun things with with a McCaffrey build. What are you thinking at three? We definitely could. And 
I'm also very much in on Tyreek Hill. I'm looking at your projections right now. You have Justin Jefferson gap from the field. Then you have Tyreek Hill actually gapped a little bit from Cooper Cup and then Cooper Cup and Chase a big gap down after that. So that's a clear tier. I mean, if you wanted to go with your number two receiver, I think that the upside potential there is absolutely immense. I did mention when I released my projections, he's he'll he'll be fourth on my rankings. There are some issues, I think, with the way that Miami projects that we'll talk about. I'm comfortable going either way here at three, uh, McCaffrey or Hill. I, I would probably want to avoid adding more cup because I have a ton of him. Well, let's go with Tyreek Hill here. It gives us a little bit of a hedge off of all of the Waddle shares. It gives us a little bit of protection in case all of the wide receivers are gone there when we come back in two, which is something that will happen in some drafts. I'm not maybe as worried about it in a non-stream draft in the middle of the day. And yet we always kind of have to keep that in mind. That's something that can come back to haunt you if you take McCaffrey. And especially now that we're in a situation where guys like even a Jonathan Taylor, but certainly a Brees Hall, maybe a Ramondre Stevenson have a little bit in the way of, you know, landmines that they could step on or are in the middle of stepping on between now and the beginning of the season. Maybe it makes you a little bit more reluctant there. I should also mention to anybody watching on YouTube, I have to issue an apology. Um, my ranks are updated on the site. They were updated overnight. And before I began this exercise, I meant to upload them to Underdog. You can do that by clicking down below underneath the rankings there. So anybody who wants to use the rankings, upload them to the site. You can do that. But I did forget. So these these are not the, the most recent rankings you're looking at in our queue. But Ben, that's not going to cause us any trouble as we are actually drafting ourselves. Not a huge surprise here as we're looking at the guys going through the first round. Yeah, no, uh, no surprise there. Uh, I want to mention on Hill, the projections element. So that was something I noted where, you know, I, I talk about this a lot. And Sean, we talk about it on the show, but projections are not going to equal rankings. And there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical of projections. With Miami, I struggled with them. They were very uh, unique as an offense last year. We obviously only have the one data point with Tyreek being there and with Mike McDaniel as the head coach. It was very concentrated. It was a very efficient. Tua Tagovailoa was the uh, NFL leader in, uh, I think, completion percentage. Definitely yards per attempt, passer rating, multiple elements. Maybe it wasn't completion percentage, but it was yards per attempt passer rating and touchdown rate uh, on a per attempt basis projecting them this year was difficult because you had to balance how much you want to regress to his per attempt efficiency and then also Mike Kosicki being gone was a difficult thing because he was a very efficient though you know lesser used number three option there's not really a clear new number three option so when I was doing the pro projection to get to a, to like even close to his efficiency from last year, I mean, I was regressing it, but I still wanted him to, to be listed at somewhat efficient. Uh, I really had to solidify Tyreek and Waddle's projections. So I wound up with a really aggressive Tyreek projection, which I wrote about. I, I feel like is more of an indication that I, I think there's a really high floor for him, but not so much an indication of the ceiling. Interestingly enough, we are back on the clock here, Sean. We can talk to that a little bit more in a moment. These drafts fire off quick you have Devonta Smith at the top of our queue I'm very comfortable with that the other option I was going to float to you with Tyreek we talked a little about with Waddle we could we could reach for Andrews and Lamar at the 2-3 turn and build a Miami Baltimore stack I'm very fine with with going Devonta unless you're looking to get a little bit unique here well, let's go with Smith in the second and then we can look at 
Andrews coming back in the third, if we would like, he's someone who, I mean, the upside there, absolutely massive. He gives you what you want to win tournaments, right? Not just to get through. He might even hurt you a tiny bit in terms of getting through, but for winning tournaments, I mean, Mark Andrews could be the guy there. Then we have had some decent reports about Odell Beckham and Zay Flowers, how those guys look. I think the better they look, the more we might get a little bit of target competition there in Baltimore that hurts him. He does go at the 301. Uh, when I was drafting yesterday with Pete on the best ball banana stand, he went deep into the third round. So I was kind of thinking that maybe those reports were going to push him down a little bit. That did not happen. Ooh, well, we can go we get, with Jalen Hurts. Oh. We yeah, can we go can with Higgins, go. we can go with Hertz, we can go with Jonathan Taylor, and we've got you know, really an embarrassment of potential riches here. I, I, I'm fine with Hertz. With the two receivers to start and, and stacking up Devonta, I think that's a smart move. But also, yeah, to get Higgins to swing back around in the third and get both Devonta and Higgins. DK Metcalf goes at the turn here. Ramondre, Josh Allen, Andrews. It's a colorful turn. A lot of picks from different positions. We don't get a lot of receivers. Higgins sort of the last of a tier. We do take him there at 303. The Hurt stack would have been nice to get a Hill, Devonta Smith, T. Higgins start feels a little bit unique as well. But yeah, just to finish what I was saying about Tyreek Hill. I kind of was doing the thing that people are always telling me about where they're like trying to get a sense of the player you really want. And then I know that Hurt's play there works really well. It gives us immense upside. But I just I had the I had the feeling that you wanted Smith and Higgins together. So much fun to get both of those receivers. And I, I do think that in some ways, if this team breaks out, you know, we might be a little bit more unique or we might prefer that player combination over all of these teams that are going to have Smith Hurts. And there are going to be a lot of constructions like that. Right. That's sort of what I was thinking, to be completely honest, is that in this draft, the room was giving us an opportunity to build something that may be a little bit more unique because you don't often see Higgins get back around to 27, um, even though his ADP is not a ton higher than that, just because he is the last of a tier. Uh, and also because we took Tyreek a little higher, I think you're going to see Tyreek Devonta with Devonta as a second round pick. I think you're going to see Tyreek Higgins with Higgins as the second round pick. I don't think you're going to see quite as much Tyreek Devonta and Higgins as you'd expect. So that felt like the opportunity that the 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 draft we're in was giving us obviously when you're doing these best balls it's not always about who your favorite player is it's about what the draft is actually offering you how you can build something into a larger portfolio that's a little bit different a little bit unique you always have to be aware that you know every draft is going to be a little unique what can you do the best in it i always think it's kind of crazy when people go into these and they're like i'm going to try to do something very specific I mean, other than it being sort of a bit like our buddy, our buddy Pete does that. So I think some on some of his streams, but you kind of have to, you know, with, or you don't have to, but it is something that uh, becomes a fun thing with some content and things like that. But other than that, like if you're, if you're drafting on your own and you're saying, no, oh, I'm going to go to zero RB here before the draft even starts, that's not the way you want to play it. You want to be thinking about what this draft is actually giving you in terms of an opportunity to build something that other drafts might not ha- give you. And, and that's when you get the exposure to that sort of build in your portfolio is when the draft is, is kind of pushing you there. It's sort of a natural diversify, diversification technique where you're not you – know, you have preferences, certainly, but uh, let the draft sort of help you along your way. I think that was a good example of that. However, the Jalen Hurts pick would have been awesome too. <laughs> it would have. It's kind of a crazy one here where if the Stefan Diggs drafter, who I believe took Diggs at eight – 
had taken A.J. Brown instead. And kind of the argument against that right now is just that, I mean, Hertz is not going to come back to you in round three. And in this draft, he did. So if that yeah. pick had been Brown instead of Diggs, I'm sure there was some real, uh, you know, just disappointment there because that drafter does go ahead and take Hertz without either of those two guys. Now, one of the reasons to take Hertz is just you can get Dallas Goddard, which I think is a great play. So you're not locked out of their big three just because you didn't get one of the two receivers. Yeah, well put. With Diggs, he was probably hoping that it was Allen who slipped back. And and typically, Allen would be more likely because you don't have the, you know, Devonta Smith on the other part. Although the Allen drafter here was a Ramondre Stevenson pick at 211. You have that Week 17 Buffalo-New England correlation there. So it might have played in to Allen going a little bit higher as well. But yeah, Sean, uh, one of the other reasons that Higgins over Hertz, I think, made some sense is the potential for Joe Burrow here. We are a couple picks away. He is still there. How do you feel about – he just filled up the key with a whole bunch of players that weren't Burrow. So <laughs> how do you feel about – There we go. Burrow at the top now. Burrow at the top. <laughs> All right. So Burrow, uh, ADP of 47.6. We are now on the clock at pick 46. Feel like he's a pretty nice pick in the late fourth. Last week talked, you were making a comment at one point to me about it's hard to get Burrow to come back here to these early draft slots where you're usually getting Chase and Higgins. Certainly, the Chase drafter behind us on the turn will take Burrow if we don't, and so we do grab Burrow there. I'm I've gotten really excited about Burrow after doing my projections and writing my offseason stealing signals for the AFC North. There's a lot of reason to be excited about him anyway, but he ran. Quite a bit more. Not he's not obviously super mobile, but ran quite a bit more his second year off the ACL than he did in 2021. He more than doubled rushing yardage in part because he more than doubled his uh, designed run rate. They called more designed. They called some design carries for him. He also had significantly more rushing TDs. I think maybe some of that was you know those design runs were you know QB sneaks and close and things like that, but. He offered a lot more as a runner in 2022. It helped his ceiling to have that along with, I think, one of the highest passing ceilings in the NFL, maybe short of Patrick Mahomes, but maybe the one guy that you could say could contend with Patrick Mahomes in most passing raw categories, yards, touchdowns. The Bengals' PROE was even higher than the Bills, second in the NFL last year. They went full on leaning into, hey, to beat these teams in the AFC, we have to throw with intent. They asked Joe Mixon to take a pay cut this offseason. He did. He's still back. But certainly they believe that throwing to win is is one of their paths. Sean, we're back on the clock. You have Kenneth Walker, JSN at the top of the queue. I like them both here. We did start three straight receivers. I think Walker as an anchor running back in the fifth is pretty intriguing. But I'm also very fine taking JSN here. And are you comfortable with him and the injury situation? Yeah. Yep. It sounds like the Charbonnet injury is a little bit more concerning. That's sort of just reading the tea leaves. Maybe that's a little optimistic. You know, Pete actually in a different draft I'm doing with him made a really good point to me with some of these injury guys where there's probably not, you know, taking them right now, especially taking them ahead of ADP like we just did with Walker, there's probably not a lot of benefit there because they're, they're not really getting pushed down. But you have the potential to have way too high of a pick if we if we get some news that he's going to miss a few weeks and his ADP does slip a few rounds. So it's more of a it's more of a fragile bet than usual certainly where the ADP could could fall but probably doesn't have it's not like if we got news that Walker's totally fine he's going to rise from from where we just took him in the early 5th where he's been for I mean, most of the offseason. But I think still, we might. 
Because, I mean, he was just so fantastic last season. He was the most electric back in the NFL. And the thing that really is knocking him is that they made that Charbonnet pick and that he was sort of feast or famine. And there's some concern the coaching staffs are going to look at that and say, we just, you know, we need the guy who's going to run for two yards <laughs> when we need two yards. And when the hole's there for two yards and Kenneth Walker's like, yeah, but if I don't go into that hole that's closed, maybe I could go for 50. And so you, you kind of work through those types of things. I guess my concern would be that even though Charbonnet's injury seems to be much more serious, I mean, anytime these guys are already injuring their hamstrings and groins and for Walker, I believe it is a groin, then I mean, you're like, is, is this going to be something all year long where we have to deal with it? Obviously, in best ball, you don't have to deal with, you know, trying to figure out if you're in a stardom or not, but you still could lose a lot of weeks there. One of the things that I was thinking, and one of the little bit of issues I think you actually run into when you get a pick in the top three is that as you come back through that four or five turn, the value is actually not very good. And most of the guys that I have in my rankings at that point are well above their actual ADP. And so you think about other options we would have had, maybe someone like a Christian Kirk. I love Kirk in a vacuum. I think that he's a good player. Maybe he's an undervalued player. Maybe he's someone we actually should have looked at here. But certainly when you have the news that Calvin Ridley is doing as well as he is, and just that now you do have perhaps more target competition, it would be difficult to pull the trigger there. I mean, the guy that I think is the home run pick is JSN, who... I mean, I don't want to get too crazy with it, but it sounds like he's doing the things that we've been discussing this summer and that he looks like easily the best receiver on the Seahawks. I mean, if, if you forced me to just pick one guy off of the Seahawks and said price is not an issue and it's going to be for the season, I mean, I, I would pick JSN without the second's hesitation. I think he is not going to just beat those guys, but hammer those guys. So I mean, maybe we should have gone back and just and picked him, but I'm trying to also balance that with... Right, that's where I was at. If you're, if you're going to take JSN 10 picks ahead of ADP when you start wide receiver times three and you have an anchor running back option, then you're going to take him in every single draft. Like, you're literally going to have 100% exposure from here on in. But maybe that's what we should do. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, that was exactly what I was thinking was like, okay, this is not the spot to reach 10 picks on JSN. But, you know, the way that you're talking about him, it's like you want to take him in every single draft anyway. And, and like you say, I, I'm sure we will get our full fair share, and then just hope that it's not a Brees Hall situation from last year. So kind of as we move through that segment there, Deontay Johnson, Mike Evans, Justin Herbert, the next three picks, that gives you kind of a feel of what we're looking at. TJ Hawkinson, Christian Kirk, Marquise Brown, Aaron Jones. JSN does go with the 5'11". That seems like a great value for him. Madison, Godwin, Kittle, Sanders, Lockett, Dobbins, Pierce. I mean, Ben, I... I don't have a lot of guys who have gone in the interim other than the very obvious yeah. ones that I feel I, like we really even lost out on by having this long stretch. That's what I was going to say uh, to your point about having in your rankings, a lot of guys well above ADP in that spot. It made a lot of sense to me when, when Chris Godwin rose into that gap and was getting drafted at the four or five turn earlier. And then he fell right back to where he was, which is wrong. <laughs> so Chris Godwin is another one that I would be happy to take as high as four or five like JSN. John, we're back on the clock. Kyle Pitts made it all the way back to us at the end of the sixth round. He's the last guy from our uh, queue from the 4-5 turn, and I would have considered him there if we didn't have other options. The fact that he sometimes slips all the way back to 6-10 is part of why you wouldn't take him at 4-5. He's a very easy pick here. Now we have an anchor quarterback. We have an anchor tight end. We have an anchor running back. It gives you a lot of balance. 
Probably not as much depth as we'd love to have a wide receiver through six rounds, but when you start wide receiver times three, you have three studs there. Gives you a little bit of flexibility. I like the wide receiver options at 703 that we're going to be looking at, Sean. You've already put one in the queue. We're not live streaming usually. <laughs> usually I'm like afraid we're going to get sniped if we say the name. You put John Dotson in the queue here. Traylon Burks is another one that I see uh, on the list that I'd be very happy to take. And I and, and you also have Goddard there. We didn't take Hurts. I don't think we really need a second. Okay, well, Goddard goes anyway. Um, so Dotson, Burks. Quentin Johnston, a very easy pick in my opinion. Um, I love you're, you're also putting some good running backs in. I love the wide receiver moves that we can make here. I'm comfortable with all three of those guys. Right, do you have a particular lean today? Yeah, let's go Dotson. So uh, we kind of, I mean, he's actually a pick below ADP. We get that tiny ADP value, or more or less just a wash. Which if we can as many of those as we can get as we try and hammer the guys that we have well above ADP in our personal rankings, then I think that that is going to be a positive for us. One of the things that was just so nice is you get Devonte Smith at ADP, you get T Higgins below ADP. You, know, you mentioned the situation there with Burrow where I don't know that he really has much room to rise because obviously it's the drafters who have Higgins and chase who are mostly trying to grab him. I do think that once he gets healthy again, that the Travis Kelsey drafter is also a potential spot that you lose him from being able to stack with those two weapons. I think that we got a little bit more protection and we're a little bit less worried about it in this draft because of that calf injury. I mean, you never like it when a guy is missing a chance to build, you know, even more rapport with guys like Chase and Higgins. And yet there probably aren't too many situations that are, less of a big deal if a quarterback is going to miss a couple of weeks again maybe you're thinking about it mostly from upside because as you pointed out and if there's going to be a guy who goes out and has a record-breaking season either from a yardage standpoint or a touchdown standpoint or (laughs) combines one of those you know it probably is either going to be patrick mahomes or joe burrow yeah i kind of threw in there right before we got on the clock last we were talking about this about burrow's and Cincinnati's pass rate over expected being so high and them getting to what we had been wanting them to get to the last couple of years, Sean. There's a lot of conversation. Uh, Zach Taylor secretly, are, you know, kind of a run first coach. I, I, I personally never really bought that. I know I made the point before that as Burrow worked back from his ACL in 2021, they started really slow that year, but we expected them to. We talked in the offseason about, hey, Joe Burrow's not going to be 100% healthy to start this year. He, he had his ACL tear late in his rookie year. And the first four or so weeks, they were very slow paced. They didn't necessarily really up, you know, get up tempo until later in the year, but then into the playoffs, they did. They went all the way to the Super Bowl that season, obviously. Then last year, we got more of that is sort of the idea more of that throughout the season in through their playoff run everything they were doing showing this you know passing with intent this idea of being a very pass first team throwing to win understanding where your bread is buttered you have jamar chase you have t higgins you have joe burrow and you talk about them you know setting records this and that they get asked every day in camp it seems like about t higgins going to be a free agent are you going to be able to keep it all together burrow has said you know we think we're going to be able to keep it all together this that and the other thing but Maybe there's a, a little bit of pressure on them in their passing game to make the most of this period of time where they have these guys together. Maybe there's a little bit of concern that T. Higgins 
might not be there long term that they can't afford to pay Burrow and Chase and Higgins and put that much money into their quarterback and their top two receivers. And so it's, you know, it's at least vaguely interesting to me to consider that they might be, you know, trying to push it. Although this injury might lead to something similar to what I just said they did in 2021 with his ACL, where they started a little slow, a little run heavy in September. I would imagine they aren't going to put too much on Burrow's plate. He seems like he'll be ready for week one, but still not pushing him to try to throw for 500 yards in week one. Sean, we're on deck. You have Tua in the queue. One of the big things about the projection I was talking about with Tyree Kill is you have to be pretty optimistic about Tua. You've talked about him being multiple rounds undervalued. We have the stack. We have him behind ADP. Seems like a really nice pick here. Yeah, and we do have Burrow. But when we're thinking about you know what this draft is giving us, as you have mentioned before, and how we get to that tournament title, I've had a lot of drafts this season where I have three late QBs, certainly elite and then late. You're trying to get those window QBs at a value. But when you can put two of the guys together like this, one of the things that we had that was nice was that the Waddle drafter was actually the one who had Josh Allen come back to him, which took Waddle sort of out of play. Then who are we looking at here for this pick? This one is a little bit tricky, right? I don't necessarily I think Sky. see you have Jamison on on Jamison Williams on the board, but Sky Moore is still there, a little lower on the wide receiver list. I think I've gotten to the point where I think Sky Moore belongs there, and I would like to get a fifth pick at receiver here. Seems like you agree. Yeah, that'll be a good spot to get him. Again, we get a little bit of a value. I have a lot of more, and. Kind of getting never... into this idea yeah. of, and and I've kind of forced you to take it more. You know, we we messed around and and I ran us out of time when we were doing the pros versus Joes ahead of Rashad Penny, who would have been a very nice pick for that particular team. <laughs> One of the things that is kind of was emerging maybe at that time and definitely seems to be the case now is that I, I guess I would ask you, what's your sense of? these chiefs receivers and the pressure that he might be getting. I mean, you look at perhaps a player who maybe has some route overlap and maybe some stylistic similarities. It seems like Richie James has been playing pretty yep. well. Ben, you and I bet on him big in last year's FFPC playoff contest. And we were kind of fingertips away from that working out. So we both like him and dislike him <laughs> for those reasons. But, mm. but I felt like he played well last year at the end for the giants and then you think about guys who maybe now are putting a little bit more pressure from the perspective of some of the out wide role. I mean, you know that MVS is probably going to have at least something that he does, but Justin Ross actually does seem like he's a real thing. And then Rasheed Rice has been also impressing. Do the Ross and Rice situations balance out Kadarius Tony at all for you? And that like, I guess I don't understand why Tony is going where he's going. He seems like he should be going like 40 picks later to me. That's what I've been saying on, on, on over on ship chasing. We talked about this a little bit and I said, I tried to think through it and the, where he's fallen some, but he still continues to go on like the 10th round. And I, there's maybe not a lot of receivers that I think have better upside profiles there, but I absolutely wouldn't take him over the priority running backs in that range or the tight ends. You can get in that range. I was saying, I, I think maybe in the 12th round, I probably still would find other guys that I would prefer, but maybe by the time you get to the 13th is when Tony might be, you know, a risk or reward profile I'd want to bet on. To answer your question about the Chiefs, 
And so, yeah, I, I'm with you there. I don't understand how Tony is still going where he's going. It's very bizarre to me. To answer your question about the Chiefs, I think all of that is a further problem for Tony. And maybe you're right that it's 40 picks instead of I'm, I'm describing, well, I'm describing basically, you know, three rounds, maybe maybe close to 40 picks. But maybe he should be going even further than, than we're saying because I think the Sky Moore stuff has been very positive. I've been taking Richie James late. I want to believe in the Justin Ross outcome. Obviously, we love him. We talked a lot about him last year, Sean, a profile that we really, really liked. It's very cool that he has been able to get back to where he is and is um, looking incredible. I do find it hard to take him. He's actually like developed a pretty strong ADP. I've heard people refer to him as not necessarily like because he's a last round pick that you might as well take him. It's like, well, all your picks matter. You can't take zeros. And so the potential for a player to not actually be playing is a pretty big negative. Any any player you give a roster spot to can can really hurt you by not being active. You can't purely think about the upside scenarios. At the same time, his upside scenarios are very tantalizing. An incredible prospect early in his collegiate career was basically outproducing T. Higgins, who we just drafted in the third round and were stoked about it, at Clemson as a true freshman, scoring touchdowns in the national championship, looking absolutely elite, has all those very serious injuries, the derail his career, but the young elite production against really high-end competition, I mean, that carries over to some degree. This guy can play football when he's healthy. I like to be in on Justin Ross, but I am a little bit concerned about the type of workload. I mean, is he going to be a 100-target player this season, or is it a successful year for Justin Ross that he gets out on the field this year, he plays, he's a rotational player, he gets 50 targets, you know, he's in like a, like Justin Watson's role from last year, something similar to that and is successful in it, but they're not pushing him too hard. They're thinking longer term with him. That's sort of what I think is probably the best case scenario for Justin Ross this year. I hope that he goes and gets hundred targets this year. Right. But I don't really see him being a massive threat to like the sky more upside case where he's the guy, uh, Richie James, somewhat similar, but I, I you know, I, I like James and I, I'm taking him late, but I don't, I don't think that there's a lot of threat to what, to what sky Moore can do if sky Moore is actually able to go and do it. There's questions about that part of it, though, of course. Yeah, it's great to get that Chiefs player opposite yes. Higgins. Can I talk you into A-Chain at this spot? He's a couple – he's like a pick and a half below ADP. I don't necessarily see another clear-cut option for us, and we want to start building out this – That Dolphins deal, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not super into A-Chain, but this is a great spot to take him when we have the Tua Hill bet on Miami's offense. He's – I mean, it's impossible not to see the anti – fragile element to his profile with Mostert and, and Jeff Wilson ahead of him. And just that things are going to lean his way throughout the season. He's going to get opportunities. The only real way that doesn't happen is if they do wind up with Dalvin cook, that could make it, you know, a lot trickier. Suddenly he might be buried a little bit at that point, but. And do you have a Dalvin cook prediction as we're drafting I, here on Thursday afternoon? Do you think he probably lands in Miami actually? That's that's been my biggest hesitation in getting all the way in on H A. Top of the queue right now, Sean. You have Jalen Warren. He's my most owned running back. He might be my most owned player. I take a lot of Warren, and I'm very excited to take him. How about Dulcich here, ADP wise, or even Rondell Moore to go with our Eagles? I'm fine with either of those. Yeah, let's go Dulcich. That's great. So we'll be done with. Our two tight ends of Pitts and Dulcich, not necessarily, but probably. 
definitely done with our two QBs with Burrow and Tua. It opens up room in the build to get more running backs, which we only have the two so far, Kenneth Walker, Devin A-Chain, Devon A-Chain, and we have the five receivers, Tyreek Hill, Devonta Smith, T. Higgins, Jahan Dotson, Sky Moore. Given that we are already sort of outside of the wide receiver window and only have the five receivers and Sky, maybe a borderline wide receiver window guy. We're not super strong or deep at wide receiver, though we do have the, the big three at the top. So I like you know the benefit that we get of, of hitting – the second tight end and hitting having hit the second QB where we did one of the benefits is we can go eight receivers. Now we can go nine receivers, maybe even probably eight. They can probably have two, six, eight, two build here, but yeah, it's going to work out nice. And that frees us up to potentially take a Rasheed rice. If he falls, he has a, a one thirty seven ADP. I believe our next pick is one forty two. It does free us up to take that Justin Ross shot late. If we want you outlined, some of the very real risks that still exist for that. Uh, but to get those guys opposite our QB would be a lot of fun since we have Higgins there as well. Rondell Moore is someone who, if he should fall in this draft, and he goes all over the place, so you can always kind of keep him in mind, even if ADP suggests he doesn't come back, put him opposite Devontae Smith, and you're obviously playing that one without the QBs, but that game becomes kind of interesting. Jacoby Myers isn't going to come back, but has slid a couple spots below ADP. I think he's always interesting. Not impossible that Warren would come back. The running backs who are backups, I mean, they can slide. I would love it if we got him at a great price. He started to become one of my most rostered running backs as well. And as you mentioned, I think because we're going to be able to get to six running backs. And if we got to the end and we didn't have that eighth receiver that we really wanted, we could even go seven running backs because we do want to make sure we don't you know, lose out on a potential big pot. And I, I think that we have kind of the guys you would need to win the whole thing. When you look at where we are with QB, you look at where we are with tight end and then our receivers, the running back position right now is quite weak. But I mean, there are a lot of names yet to still potentially fill it out. Yeah, I like that point. Warren does go at the 11-12 turn. You add Kendra Miller to the queue, and that's another running back that I really like. There's going to be plenty more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. 
Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Although we are getting, you know, once Warren goes and you get in this Kendra Miller range, we are getting to where I think there's a pretty significant teardrop. And I don't love a lot of what gets available in the ADP 150 range, 150, 160. I, I sometimes start to just look towards the very late round guys at that point. There are several at the very end of drafts that I think are, are still draftable. Yeah, we well, are getting this kind of almost vacuum-ish area. And one of the things that we often do in this range is start to take some of those QBs. We're not going to do that today. We know there are going to be some interesting tight ends as well. Something we can do is we can end up with a lot more of the running backs on this team, even if they have later ADPs, than maybe we otherwise would be thinking. Because I think the late names now are actually getting very exciting. So that's something to consider. You have someone like a Sean Tucker who... I mean, we've gone almost from the point where it seemed very unlikely that he would make the NFL to where, I mean, it now seems like he could easily be the starter for that. And so that part of it is pretty fun. In terms of Are you, wide receiver. I haven't heard any big camp news on him. Have you been hearing where you think he's potentially going to be a, a starter for? I think he's got a real shot at it. They, I mean, they started to say that he's almost guaranteed to make the roster and from that perspective, it seems very positive. Somebody who has been a camp name, Ben, is a DJ Chark there as kind of the main guy for Well, Bryce. we could get no. him on the way back by ADP. That's a big reach. Let's okay. get Miller. You want, yeah. you want Miller here? Okay. Yeah. Um, you're starting to freak me out with, with running backs. I know you, you you don't mind taking just like three at the end of the draft and calling that good, but <laughs> we, we grabbed Kendra Miller as our third running back, our second rookie to go with. Kenneth Walker, a second-year guy, obviously often looking at those younger backs. Still, you know, a, a running back room that could add some some depth. I don't – so Marvin Mims goes. He's one of the other receivers you had in the queue, Sean. As we come back around at 13-3, part of the reason I said that we were on the clock kind of – you know, we have these quick quick clocks. DJ Chark's ADP 157. Our next pick coming back at 13-03 was still only 147. So still 10 picks ahead ADP. For Miller – the ADP was a lot closer. I wasn't sure he'd make it back around the turn. If you want to grab Chark here, I'm fine with that. I just wanted to get I, to me, Kendra Miller sort of the end of another little mini, mini tier, not a huge drop off or anything. But if you want to take Chark here and that we're back on the clock, I'm comfortable with that. You also have some running, some interesting running backs in the queue as well. Yeah. Do you prefer either of the Bears runners here to Chark? What do we have? Five receivers? No, we, let's take Chark. Let's get a sixth receiver here. I like the. I, I might in a vacuum, yes, but I like the later round running back alternatives more than I think I'm going to like where we're going to be able to get our wide receiver six later. Chark, I think, makes a lot of sense there. Yeah, it, it does start to get fairly bleak, especially if you're not a Curtis Samuel or Jalen Hyatt fan, especially if you're not taking a Justin Ross, maybe not taking a Khalil Shakir. I haven't checked in on that one in the last couple of days, Ben, so I'm not 100% sure how he is doing. 
But I mean, we're probably looking when we think about having Pitts, one of the late round guys who is at least vaguely interesting, you know, would be a Chase Claypool in the very last round. We can take a Richie James toward the end. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're talking about very, very thin path receivers that we would be adding to our queue at this point, even though we're just in the 13 round. There are probably no big impact receivers once Chark is gone. And, and not to say that he's going to be, but he has that kind of profile where he's done it in the past. He's very athletic. Even last year with the Lions, he performed a little bit better, I think, than people realize. He said just had so much in the way of injury issues over the last several years. And we did the whole show where we talked about these rookie QBs, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, what they might do to and for their offenses. We mentioned that, we, that the numbers for Adam Thielen have been very poor. Now, he's obviously going to get some camp buzz saying I mean, he's involved, he's getting some targets. But as we get into it, I mean, I don't think people are looking at it anywhere in the vicinity if they were thinking about Allen Robinson last year. But you have to always keep in mind that a lot of the camp buzz is going to turn out to be absolutely nothing. And what the profile is for those players is going to be what matters. And then you're going to have the effect of the offense, the QB as well. But a guy like Chark seems to be, if they have somebody who breaks out there with Young, who again just had a fantastic well, passing profile. I mean, I think it's him. So, I mean, if there's nobody else, I, I don't have much chart at all. But if it fits into a build, I'm willing to grab him on a few teams. I did see a little bit of camp buzz out of Terrace Marshall. So when we did that show, Sean, one of the things we decided was it it's not going to be feeling. It's probably not going to be Jonathan Mingo in year one. So there's room for Chark for sure, but also that maybe Terrace Marshall might be the way to play it at the very end of drafts. And I saw, and I, I saw a little bit of excitement about from him on on Twitter today getting a little interested in, in him as an 18th rounder as well. And I got some feedback from that show where people were saying that they loved hearing that Marshall was the 18th round pick. We definitely have stealing bananas fans who are also Marshall fans. So that one fits together very nicely. Nice. So that's one other potential way to play it. But yes, I mean, that is a big part of why I, I liked making that pick is what you talked through. What we talked through, um, on that show and, and the concerns about feeling and the concerns about Mingo as well. I think, uh, as you said, Chuck played well last year, but also a lot of opportunity available to him. If he's able to play to, to his abilities, we're almost back up. The queue is loaded up with running backs, couple wide receivers in there as well. Top of the queue is Jerome Ford right now. That's one I like, Sean. There's not a lot of depth in that backfield. People have been talking about this all offseason. It's a little bit concerning to me that he was basically not used on offense last year, despite being active for 13 games because he was used on special teams. So they had him on the on the active game day roster, but still didn't want to mix him in, really. It was all Chubb and Hunt last year. But all the reports are saying, okay, well, they're going to use him in the Kareem Hunt role as that 1B to Chubb, he's going to get 100 plus touches is basically the way that i'm hearing it is that how you're hearing it it is and we you know discussed as well on a recent show that i mean chubb has never been a guy to take that massive massive workload and I mean, well, he's one of the rankings that i've been asked about because i have him well below adp and it's not any kind of shot at him or any kind of question of the browns offense it's more about just being slightly higher on other players and thinking that ford is going to take really that hunt role i don't see that ep value going back to 
Chubb. And if he doesn't get that, it's hard for him to just score at the level. I mean, he can be the best running back in the NFL and still not be a great fantasy pick. Then we come back around pretty quickly here. And for me, it's probably Spears. Is there someone else? I mean, is Samuel someone you're looking at or a different running back here? I do like Samuel. I don't. I wouldn't mind taking him to get our wide receiver seven. I, I haven't been super in on Spears, but I mean, I'll take him here. He's an ADP value. I, w- I would love to talk through Spears with you a little bit. It looks like we are going to go Samuel. We do need to get to a seventh receiver. I think we're probably going to get eight in this build. We still have room for one of those late Kansas City options, whether that's Ross or Richie James, maybe, uh, to get a second bring back on the Bengals stack that we have. Spears, Sean, I mean, undersized, has the ACL issues, right? Like doesn't have ACLs in his knees was was one of the things. I, I don't know. You'll have to comment on that better than I can. But my understanding with him is that people are very excited about potential handcuffs behind Derrick Henry, the way I look at it is like, they're, I don't think Mike Vrabel's ever going to give a 200-pound back a ton of work. I think, you know, the, the between-the-tackles work would then go to Hassan Haskins or Julius Chestnut or, or somebody. They would bring someone in if Derrick Henry went down. I think Spears has the potential to be basically a pass down back in, and I think they drafted him to fill the Dontrell Hilliard role, which the last couple of years they've used Hilliard sort of on passing downs. But it's not like a really high-volume passing downs role. It's not like a really high – you know, a big, big time fantasy role. So I think he actually has a little bit more standalone value than, than people intimate and is less of a handcuff because if something did happen to Henry, that, that Spears rushing work actually wouldn't explode. But what are you seeing in Spears? Well, he was just so good the last couple of seasons. You dive into his advanced stats and the things that you would expect to see from a bigger back. And then also that game breaking ability. So I think that they have picked him up as they kind of transition. And we think about the GM getting fired in the middle of the season last year, the ownership discussing how they want to become the type of team that can win in more ways, that can move the ball, that is a well-rounded overall unit. I think that a back who is less of a grinder and more of a, you know, an Austin Eckler type of player. It, you know, I mean, obviously not to say that he's going to be Austin Eckler, but you're trying to think of like how your scheme can work. And I think it goes back to the show that we did earlier this week, talking about how teams have to beat the new defenses. And I think Spears is one of the guys who can help with that. And that's not to say that, you know, you want to really take Derrick Henry off the field too often because Derrick Henry is such a unique weapon. And yet, unlike the situation with Chubb, where they've the Browns have more or less intimated that the same – type of rotation will exist but just with a different guy in tennessee they have indicated pretty strongly that they want to take some of this just immense workload off of derrick henry's plate to give spears that standalone value and then in the case of an injury yeah i mean spears isn't going to be you know some massive 25 touch a game player either i mean he's going to lose touches then to the other peripheral pieces but his fantasy role in that case in this sort of re-envisioned offense, I think could be very exciting. And one of the things that he said, and you kind of think of the Jay Ajayi situation where, I mean, did his yeah. career go on for a long time? It did not. But for that period, which is almost the same period that overlaps with most other backs for that right. period that he was able to do it before things deteriorated. I mean, Spears has been playing with the current knee situation that he has very successfully. And so, I mean, is he going to go 27, 28, 29 and be dynamic? Probably not. Is he 
still a fantastic option over the next two or three years. I mean, if he's good, if he's as good as it appears that he is, I don't think the knee is going to be a short-term issue. That's a great point. Sony Michelle just retired as well. There was some talk about the arthritis that he has in his knees that, you know, that limited his length, career length. Uh, but he was, you know, on Pat Crane's best ball mania winning team last year, right? And and gave him some usable stuff. He had some some usable periods. Sean, the real reason I told you to pass on him is I was just getting a feeling that he would make it all the way back to us at 16-10. And he does. We're now 17 picks behind ADP. You did convince me. Uh, that we can take him 70 picks behind ADP, certainly. But yeah, I mean, just just on him in general, I think that was uh, well put. To wrap up the comments I made, I did look it up while you were talking. It was at the combine. Tess revealed full thickness, cartilage loss, and no ACL in one of his knees. And additionally, he has arthritis. Also uh, a concern. Not great, but more about the longevity of his career, probably, as you noted, which is unfortunate. But... The Titans were obviously not that concerned. They took him on day two, and they are ready to use him. As you said, he's been able to be successful despite that. And I think the one point you really made was, look, I mean, not a lot of running backs have super long careers anyway. So there's not uh, a huge, you know, it is what it is sort of a thing, I guess. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little bit distracted as we get back on the clock here. You've moved Justin Ross to the top of the queue. It, It put me, it made me speechless to think about drafting Justin Ross here. Let's take him. (laughs) <laughs> you like it? We, we have Ross. Yeah. Have- oh, I, I love it. I think we need an eighth receiver here. Richie James did go. I think it leaves Ross as sort of the no brainer. Richie James also correlated would have potentially have been another option, but the room kind of made our decision for us, but also just like a really fun time that we get to draft Justin Ross. We talked about him a lot more last summer. I know longtime bananas listeners will remember our talk about him. And those who watched the draft stream in 2022 and how we were really hoping he would go and then, you know, his fall was such a bummer. We did a whole day three stream as well. Such a bummer to see him undrafted, but then he signed with the Chiefs. That was exciting. Obviously was on IR all of last year. He's now back. He's making camp highlights. It seems like every day there's a grainy video of Patrick Mahomes hitting him. He's running with the ones. It's not the backup quarterback throwing to him. The team is giving him a chance to be a guy. And he's their best bet to be a guy from a profile perspective probably in terms of you know size athleticism and everything else early career production in college if he's back to that player if he's back to you know full health it could be pretty exciting so he was a really fun eighth pick there at wide receiver we have the two qbs at the top in bro and Tua. we don't need a third we have two very strong tight ends in Pitts and dulcich we're at five running backs. We'll probably be taking a sixth here in the final round by my count, Sean. The eight receivers, because we only got four to five before the window, Sky Moore was our wide receiver five. I like that we're going to add now a couple of these late round, or did add a couple of these late round options that give us a little bit more depth, a little bit more splash week, splash week potential. And with the eight receivers, you know, some of the risk in Ross not really playing a ton or maybe just being a couple usable week kind of guy if he only gets the 50 targets in the, in the scenario that I described. It's okay when you have a little bit more depth in your receiver room, right? I mean, I think it's a little bit more viable as uh, as an eight wide receiver build option. Yeah, I'm fired up. Fired up about that pick. Yeah, it's been really cool to see how this has come together. One of the things that always makes me nervous when we don't come out of the draft with – that requisite number of receivers in the first 10 rounds is that you can get in some real trouble late. I don't think that that has been the case here. 
on those Justin Ross highlights, are these real highlights, Ben? I know that uh, obviously there are lots of fun plays going on out there now. Colin was mentioning to me that Pete had a, a fun tweet discussing how on many of these videos, I don't know what the exact wording was, but you need a telescope or something to that effect. I was researching Romeo Dobbs earlier today because I'm hearing a lot of buzz about Christian Watson. I love Watson, got exposure there, but want to make sure that Romeo is still like part of this. And the headline for him is that he, he mossed Jair Alexander, one of the better corners in the NFL. And then I click on the video and I watch it and Alexander kind of falls down as the pass is thrown up to him and Dobbs bats it like three times and comes down with it. It's not exactly like peak Odell Beckham or George Pickens, although I am proud of him. I mean, are we getting some real star plays from Ross? I would say no. I mean, every highlight I've seen and I've stopped and watched them have just been like normal completions. <laughs> like Some of them have been down the field at least, but yeah, they've seemed like a very normal like 20, 25-yard completion where it's just like a well-thrown ball and the defender's not really playing great defense and Ross just like makes a catch and that's that. But well, he's, he's catching passes from Patrick there Mahomes. You go. There you he's go. Catching, yeah. Yeah. If the ball was thrown from Mahomes and it was caught by Ross, then it counts. I mean, the, the leading headline here in the underdog software for the guy that we drafted in the 17th round basically is like, Justin Ross has a chance to make the team. Like, well, okay. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love him. I have team. not taken a ton of him. I'm surprised that his ADP has shot up so much that it's like, it's inside of the top 200 now. I think it's 190 something where, you know, there's 216 picks in every draft. I mean, just to get him to, to where he's been drafted in a lot of drafts and getting down into you know 205 range is is interesting but he's now like got an ADP in the 17th round 16th round moving up moving up moving up so it's maybe a little bit more rich than I think is warranted but I'm you know I'm certainly excited when we get the opportunity to take him on an eight receiver build where he's correlated we're up Sean we need our sixth receiver you got Dwayne McBride top of the queue I love it is that is that what you're thinking well, they're saying that he could be the guy. He's impressing more than Ty Chandler. We have Pierre Strong, one of the best athletes in the NFL. We have Sean Tucker, could be the starter in Tampa. You like McBride? I'm fine with all of them, but we, I, we, I, I kind of ran the clock down on my Justin Ross thing. I filibustered you that time, so we get McBride. I would have been okay with Tucker. I have not been. I don't think I've taken Tucker. I have not been hearing that positive stuff. I want to start mixing him. And now that you said that, I have taken Strong as well. I'm kind of waiting for the dust to settle. I don't love hearing. Uh, rumors of Dalvin, rumors of Fournette, and rumors of Zeke all potentially landing in New England as it relates to Strong. Having said that, if any of those guys lands there, I don't think it takes Strong completely off the board, right? I mean, those are guys that – I mean, Strong would be a talent-based play for the later part of the season. He showed his talent last year. He only got 10 carries, but 100 yards had a long run. 10 yards per carry, Sean, that's very good. I don't know if you know that. Also, uh, seven caught all seven of his targets as well. Looked like pretty sweet for 17 touches. I mean, about as sweet as you can look for 17 touches. Had 140 scrimmage yards, really strong overall numbers. And those regards, obviously not, you know, a big a sample really even worth worrying about. But if he is able to get on the field at some point this year, and uncertainty can happen, you think about the, you know, we talked about this last year. I don't know if we talked about it a lot this year, Sean. That, the EV equation, the probability of something happening, and then the potential payoff. Those are the two sides of it. With late-round running backs, the fantasy community loves to focus way too much on the probability of something happening. One of the things I love about you and the way that we like to draft, 
So we're, we're focused on what the payoff would be. I'm pure strong. The payoff could be huge from what his profile is. Let the rest of the, you know, potential, you know, handicapping, what are the odds of him actually getting a chance? Let that, you know, work itself out. Those, that's uncertainty. And we're not real sure about it. And I don't think people handicap it as well as they think they can anyway. But if they go grab an Ezekiel Elliott, certainly there's paths to Ezekiel Elliott just not being very good if something were to happen to Ramondre and Pierre being the guy that ends up being the real handcuff you want. So the payoff really is the key. Is this player good enough to where it'll matter? Not just, you know, is he going to get some touches? Because there are guys that get touches but just aren't good. And, does, it does you know, the Joshua Kellys of the world who, great, like every time he ends up getting opportunity with the Chargers, it doesn't do anything for any of us in fantasy. Exactly. And I... <laughs> It's really frustrating, some of these teams who are being connected to running backs. But I do think that especially with a team like the Patriots, they're still looking to be very balanced, if not a little bit run heavy. And I think they're terrified of what would happen if Stevenson gets hurt from the perspective of who's going to soak up all of those low value touches. And I mean, unfortunately, if you have a really cheap share or position in Kevin Harris, then... You know, we're talking about probably deeper dynasty leagues where that would be relevant, but he's a guy who would potentially be interesting. He's the guy who you get to week eight of the NFL season and, and we're writing the zero RB watch and we're talking about that. And Ben, you and I are working with Pat and Pete to you know do waivers in our main event team and that kind of thing. I mean, he's a player who could easily pop up and be a meaningful fantasy performer at that point. That'd be less the case, obviously, if they add someone who is just going to be a run into the line and fall down. One of the things that is just uh, kind of weird about all of this, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, if there are a bunch of rumors out there that I haven't been tracking, but even though Kareem Hunt was not nearly what we have come to recognize last season, I guess I would just still be much more willing to take a little bit of a flyer on him having a bounce back than guys like Elliot and Fournette who yeah. have been done for a while, right? I mean, it's not it's like weird. you're just looking at it's weird that we're not hearing anything about Hunt. I've been yeah, thinking that so. too. Yeah, and I'm not yeah, saying I that agree. like he's ready to go have a great season or anything, but yeah. uh, you know, from, again, from a probability perspective, like who's more likely to bounce back? Who's more likely to give you flexibility? Now we know that one of the things that Fournette will do is give you the flexibility of being able to stand out there on all the different plays. And so I, mean, I would think that he would be much more like in the mix than Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, Elliott's situation last year was just so sad. And that this is a, a former superstar. And even those of us who were saying, you've got to get out, you've got to get out, you've got to get out. I mean, I think you're still surprised when you see Elliott. I mean, he looked like someone who could not beat out any fourth string player on any team in the NFL over the second half of last season. And so it's hard to see how that kind of addition is going to do anything other than potentially take out a chunk of carries in the first month before a team has to release him. Right. Until they basically do what, you know, Jacksonville wound up doing with James Robinson and, and then the Patriots wound up doing. Yeah. Unfortunately, when, when guys are multi-year decliners in efficiency and, and those things, their career's probably not long from being over. That's the unfortunate reality of running back. And it is a big reason why, Sean, for years we've been saying on the show as well, the stuff that's been going on this this offseason with running backs and their contracts and all those things, it's such a, a bummer to see. We, we would love to see those guys be able to get paid better when they're producing at young ages and, you know, and have their knees blown up because of all the hits they have to take and everything. It is a really unfortunate thing on the human side what running backs have to endure. 
in Ezekiel Elliott's case, good for him that he got a huge contract, got his money and all of those things. So, you know, if he is done at this point, then at least he got paid. Uh, Sean, our final team, Tyree Kill, Devonta Smith, T. Higgins to start, Joe Burrow to stack with Higgins. We went with Kenneth Walker as our anchor running back in the fifth round. Kyle Pitts is sort of an anchor tight end. And in the sixth, Jahan Dotson was our fourth receiver in the seventh. We got a little bit of an ADP value on Tua Tagovailoa in the eighth. And at that point, Michael Thomas had already gone off the board, right? Like Rashad Bateman was gone. Elijah Moore was gone. So we almost already had kind of missed the ADP window. So we took our second QB, stacked him with Tyreek Hill, got Sky Moore on the way back. He's a little bit of a bring back on the Bengals stack we had. Then Devon A-Chain, Greg Dulcich, Kendra Miller as we started to build out tight end and running back in the early double-digit rounds. DJ Chark added to our receivers because we didn't take as many early. We needed to be layering in some receiving upside. We like the uncertainty in part. We like Chark's profile, but the uncertainty in Carolina as well, where he could wind up being kind of the main guy. Certainly, there are paths to that. Jerome Ford in the 14th. Curtis Samuel in the 15th. Another guy probably not going to wind up being the number one on his team. We do already have the bet on Jahan Dotson on this roster, though. We're betting on Washington to be decent. We're betting on Sam Howell a little bit. Maybe if something were to happen to Terry McLaurin, you could see how both Dotson and Samuel's ceilings could be correlated. But also, we've talked through how we think, even if McLaurin's out there, these three receivers are all going to run a lot of the routes. It's going to be a consolidated passing game. So getting Samuel is a bet on the Washington pass volume and passing environment You know, correlated with Dotson. Ty J. Spears was the next running back we added. Our final receiver was our boy Justin Ross. And then in the final round, we took Dwayne McBride. And that got us to a 2-6-8-2 build. We talked through it a little bit earlier, but having the two early quarterbacks, the two early tight ends, we didn't feel the need to go to three on either of those. We have done a lot of 3-5-7-3 builds, Sean. You know, we've done some three quarterback and three tight end builds. This one, we didn't go to three on either of the onesie positions and filled out depth at running back and receiver in the later rounds instead. I feel like we did a pretty good job. Like you said, you can get boxed out a little bit at those positions, especially at wide receiver. But I think I feel like we did a pretty good job of sort of balancing it out i love the upside that it gives us at the top to have both of those you know more premium stacks yeah those paths through the playoffs now can be elite in a variety of directions you mentioned curtis samuel and some of the ways that that play could work one of the headlines from washington camp so far is that the short passing game is going to be very helpful for sam howell or you know in a nightmare case for jacoby Brissett as they work through and build out that passing offense then i think the thing i'm really the most concerned about there is not howell in and of himself he continues to generate raves from his teammates but the coaching staff is bienemy qualified for that position and especially when you're talking about changing an offense installing a new offense while you're also trying to get a unproven quarterback to go out there for the first time and be successful what is the head coach going to feel like his incentives are? But that's sort of a discussion for the day. That's how Curtis Samuel fits. That's one of the reasons why he could be a big hit. You look at DJ Chark, it's kind of interesting. We had three Carolina receivers in the 13th round. I mean, you say, well, none of them have gone before that. So it's still not a huge investment. But interesting to see Chark, Thielen, and Mingo all there. The player we mentioned, Terrace Marshall, does go in the 18th round. I think that that probably the second best way to play it although again i mean if mingo broke broke out that would be pretty cool so we're definitely not rooting against him 
I I like the way this team works. It leans in a little bit to what's happened the last couple of years, which I've talked about not necessarily being the way we should expect 2023 to play out. But if wide receiver heavy early, if elite QB, if elite tight end, if that works with zero RB in the 2023 season this is the perfect roster for it even down to the last guy where the vikings have been sending out sort of mixed signals on mcbride but one of the things that we've discussed really from the nfl draft all the way through to today is that mcbride's peripherals in college were pretty extraordinary that is counterbalanced by the fact that his level of competition was very weak and there are some questions about his actual athleticism and how that will translate to the nfl but the contrast between mcbride and alexander madison who is probably more or less like a a poor man's version of mcbride but is many many years further along in the offense that part of it will be interesting they say mcbride looks good they also say they don't think that he's going to be able to handle the offense I mean, what you're going to need in this high-powered passing offense for the Vikings is someone you can put back there, hand the ball off to, and get a little bit of explosiveness now and then, which you don't get from Madison. I I would like to think that there are going to be a package of plays that McBride can run as a rookie. Hand in the ball, see what he can do. I I like this mix of talents on this roster. Sean, we've talked about there not being as much of a dead zone this year, but the last two years I've said that there's sort of a quintessential dead zone back it was mike davis two years ago last year i was really harping on ezekiel elliott in that range there's a couple guys this year that i think fit uh the more that we the further along we get i mean i think aaron jones is a good example as a guy who used to be a second rounder that the market is all the way down on but i don't think there's a better example of it than alexander madison he is a very clear dead zone back the market likes his touches they're not betting on his talent at all. They are not willing to go higher than dead zone ranges, even though that's a little bit lower in ADP this year. He's the the prime example of a running a dead zone back, propped up by volume, but nothing about his profile. This guy has never been the starter for multiple games in a row even. He's never had back-to-back productive games. He's been a spot starter at times, and he's been good in some of those, and people remember those big time. They're good for seasonal. They were also very important in uh, the DFS landscape a few times over the last several years. But even, I mean, you look at even just last year, he had his fewest touches of his career under this coaching staff. They did give him a nice contract in the offseason as well, which is another reason that people are really into him. But it's all stuff that has nothing to do with the player himself. And the market is certainly skeptical of the talent when you think about where they're actually taking him relative to the contract and the projected touches and all of those things. So, I mean, is are Dwayne McBride and Ty Chandler? I, I have been taking a ton of them. Are they? Do you have to take one of them in every single draft? I mean, it seems like you should. Yeah. Again, it kind of goes back to how much do you want to factor in what the team is saying? Because I think the reviews have been very favorable for Madison and Camp, and very negative about Chandler. So you look at that to an extent, and you know maybe you move where you have the guys slightly for me it's not going to ever be a situation where you can move alexander into a draftable spot but yet i mean if there's a guy who could fall into scoring because of the offense i i think it could be madison i mean some players you might be a little bit more concerned about would be miles sanders going right after him damian pierce going in that range joe mixon going right ahead of our pick 
in the 502. I mean, Mixon could also fall into some touches. How the Bengals' backfield works its way out will be very interesting. Travion is someone we could have taken in the last round. That's going to be a camp battle to watch. Miles Sanders, I've been making the point that I don't think, even though I like Sanders, and I think that there are times in which he doesn't get enough credit for being someone who is pretty electric before contact, that he's able to actually hit the hole and accomplish the things that the offensive line is giving you. And those aren't all offensive line yards. Even if your offensive line is good, you got to have the right guy to take advantage of it. Sanders does. I don't know the situation in Carolina is as good, but you know, we select a DJ Chark on this team. We're saying we think that maybe Carolina can do a little bit, that they're not maybe going to be the lowest scoring team in the NFL. But the flip side of that, I've been saying that I didn't think there was a huge talent gap between Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard, and I'm currently reading that Raheem Blackshear is going to beat out Hubbard for the second running back role. If that is the case, I do think we create more of a moat for Sanders, so maybe that one works out too. Certainly worked out for his his drafters last year. Yeah, to to be clear, those are all somewhat viable in best ball, especially especially the stuff you said about Madison. When I talk about dead zone backs, I'm talking about ceiling. This was sort of the same deal with Ezekiel Elliott and with Mike Davis and those who read my original dead zone back way work way back in the day. It was all about ceiling because the opportunity cost of taking Alexander Madison, you're showing the area of the board for our YouTube viewers where he went, he went one pick behind Jackson Smith and Jigba Sean. I mean, so it's not just the other running backs in that and one ahead of Chris Godwin, one ahead of Chris Godwin, two ahead of George Kittle. I, I just wrote my NFC North, off-season stealing signals as well. I pulled this up because this is where I kind of worked through my thoughts on Madison. And I, you know, as, at the end, my, my concluding sentence, kind of a long one, but I just want to read it. It says, so you're talking about a running back that has workload paths to decent production in a concentrated, fast-paced offense, but where we've never seen it from him. And the efficiency probably isn't a good bet over a multi-week stretch given his profile. And without that efficiency, probably doesn't have a real ceiling that will kill you if you don't take him in the running back dead zone. And that's sort of, how, I mean, sort of what you were just saying. Like he, there, I think there are paths to him being a small win, right? Small hit. The way that this offense could play out, if he gets all the work all year long, just don't think he's going to have the efficiency. He's going to be one of those guys that's just getting what's there for him, as we always talk about with a Joe Mixon, as we talked about with a Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you know, guys that are just getting what's there and what's blocked for them and what's available. But as you've talked about in the past, you got to have those points over expected in the you know expected points f po f po f p o e fancy points over expected in that range. You got to have four or five points per game over expected to be you know a, an elite upside running back. When you're taking a guy in the fifth round, you better believe that he has the talent to add to his workload, to add fantasy production, add efficiency. Sean, we talked about this last offseason as well about how running back talent is undervalued at this point. You need players that can be efficient on the workloads that are there. That's to me what I think about when I think about the running back dead zone. This guy said, yeah, they can be solid. They be like Alexander Madison definitely has passed to big work, but I want to be betting against that. I don't need to be taking on the opportunity cost of taking him in those ranges. And then with how cheap Ty Chandler is and how cheap Dwayne McBride is, I mean, I'm a little bit concerned about the bad reports, but if Madison's not great, he's never been the established starter I mean, there's going to be paths for him to get sat down as well at some point. You do need Ty Chandler or Dwayne McBride to start having some good notes in camp or to have a good preseason or to, you know, to give the coaches a reason to want to play those guys. So that would be helpful as well. Yeah, it definitely would. But as we look at this team and as we just sort of quickly go through, you know, the final evaluation for ourselves, 
Are there any picks that you would change or anything interesting kind of thinking about other options? One of the things I'm looking at here, and I wouldn't change it, but just, you know, you're thinking through other possible paths you might have gone down. Given that the Jalen Waddle drafter did have Hurts in round three, and that might push them off of Tua, what are your thoughts on passing Burrow where we did and instead taking Brandon Ayuk, who obviously would have gone opposite Jahan Dotson there, would have given us more firepower for our wide receiver room? Is that something that you would consider, again, kind of knowing now that we were going to get to a, and so you get at least one of those upside stacks either way? Yeah, I think that's a good call. I was trying to think through that. I was trying to think through if Pitts was maybe – you know, maybe that six, seven turn, we should have uh, taken two of the, you know, Pickens, Dotson, Traylon Burks group that were all available at the six, seven turn. If maybe he was the mistake because, or not mistake, but just the, the way that we found, wound ourselves, uh, wound up being too thin. Or obviously, Kenneth Walker is the other question. I mean, going Burrow and four, Walker and five, Pitts and six, even though we started three straight re- receivers. What happens then? We take Dotson and seven. And by the time we're back on the clock at eight ten, we were through the wide receiver window. And I, I mean, I'm asking myself those same questions, Sean. I think Burrow is a uh, the way that you describe Burrow is a great response to that. I had been thinking through Walker and Pitts, but yeah, knowing we got Tua, that's probably the one that we could give back and take an IU. Probably, I would have liked to give one of those three picks back, the fourth, fifth, or sixth, and take another receiver in there. Yeah, I think the Walker one is probably the one with a huge range of outcomes where I mean, if that groin injury lingers and causes some trouble during the season, we'll regret making a move there when there were so many good options still in round five. And yet that could also be the tournament winner. One of the things that's kind of interesting when you start with the Dolphins, and you mentioned that we could go with Mark Andrews at the 210. I was thinking that he would we would get that at least choice at the 303 and you're going to have maybe the three good choices with andrews and hertz and then the one that we actually got here with higgins that one maybe i think the most remote but we take that one there the issue if you start with the dolphins the great part about it is that you have this shot at two late the tricky part about it is that you either have to reach for flowers or then you're kind of in that situation where even if Bateman comes back, it's like, do you take Bateman or do you take Tua? Now, in this case, you know, probably you could take Bateman and then get Tua on the wrap since the Waddle drafter is somewhere else. But one of the things that I have seen happen much more frequently now is that even though Tua is not actually rising, that there are a lot of drafters in round eight who are willing to take him empty. Right. So if you have also the risk that someone is just going to say, look, I, I don't have this stacked up, but Tua is a sixth round value. I'm going to take him in round eight and get that discount and be okay with that. So you have that risk. But because Andrews goes so early, you don't have that opportunity for a late guy there where one of the things that's kind of fun in 2023 is that you have these tight ends where you can't really count on them. But if you wanted to play, you know, a Keenan Allen or a Quinton Johnston and come back with a great dulcet. So you're excited about all of that. Whereas, you know, with the Ravens, you don't get it. It's really a matter of, you know, what do you think about Odell Beckham? And are you willing to take him instead of a Sky Moore? Instead of, I guess there aren't that many other good options there. So Bateman would have been, I mean, Beckham would have been a possibility. 
now that we have time to think about it, is there any regret that we don't take Odell Beckham at the 903 instead of Sky Moore? None. I, I would take him after ADP, but he goes right about at his ADP in this draft. We would have had to take him about 10 picks before. And I think we think of correlation as a, you know, the, the, the best way I've heard it described is it should be a tiebreaker within tiers, but not a decision point, you know, across tiers. I think Sky Moore is in a different tier than Odell Beckham in terms of the profile that we needed in, on a draft where he was our wide receiver five. We didn't have a ton of depth yet. The pick for me that well, – so two things. One, you mentioned the my Andrews and Lamar thing. I didn't really get a flesh out. But the idea there, and I've done this with a Tyreek team, is to take Andrews well ahead of ADP in the second round and then take Lamar also ahead of ADP in the third round. It's giving up quite a bit of ADP value. But we, Sean, have talked a little bit about with Waddle how he opens up some paths at the 3-4 turn for Andrews and Jackson. And there's probably people that have even gotten good enough prices on both Andrews and Jackson to be able to stack them at the 3-4. I think I might have gotten that once or twice. And if you get that with a Waddle too, I mean, you're you're feeling amazing because you have a late first-round pick in addition to that Baltimore stack with the with the great Miami bring back on Waddle. The, the Tyreek-Andrews-Lamar start is a lot tied up in that stack and it is obviously reaching on both Andrews and Jackson. So not a great ADP play, but you have a little bit of a unique factor, right? I don't think people are, are doing that a ton. I'm sure some people have done it, but because of the stack thing, you know, if they're, if they're reaching to make the Andrews Lamar stack of the two, three turn, it's probably on Tyreek teams. So it's probably some exposure to that out in the field, but it is going to be a little bit more unique. There's not going to be a lot of Tyreek bring backs on Lamar Andrews stacks. And then also, I just think each of those players independently has really intriguing ceiling cases where Andrews can be the tight end one, Lamar can be the QB one, Tyreek can be the wide receiver one. And so, you know, even though it is all correlation, it's all, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of like that start. It's kind of a fun little curveball to throw where you, you're not letting the draft dictate. You know, it's different than what we talked about at the top of this show. You're going out there and saying, I'm going to do something specific. And then you have to try to hit some receivers in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh turns because you went with an elite QB and elite tight end. It's probably a zero RB build, but it can you can build some fun teams. I've, I've done it uh, at least once I know with Tyreek where, and I built, I built a pretty fun team in the end. I, I really enjoyed it. The other thing I was going to say was the Dulcich pick. I We kind of ran the clock down there, but we had taken picks already and we liked some of the late tight ends and we were behind on receivers and also behind on running backs a little. And so at 11, I looked back at that and I think the guy probably receiver was through the window, not a great options, but at 1103, we still had an option of getting Damian Harris there. And he ends up going 1108. It looks like five picks later. He's one of my higher drafted running backs. Sean, I know you're really high on James cook. I'm really coming around on the James cook play as well. He's getting incredible camp buzz. But I do think Harris is going to be pretty involved. I think their decision to grab Kincaid, we talked about some of the reality trends, the two tight end stuff that's going to happen. I think they're going to do some power running with Damian Harris at times this year. They know him from in-division. He's actually been a pretty good pass blocker throughout his career and a pretty effective receiver, even though he's never been known as a pass catcher. But I think he could catch some passes as well if they use him a little like you know they used Zach Moss back in the day. I don't think Damian Harris is – you know, completely boxed out by James Cook's breakout where I think they can both be pretty productive in the ways that at times the Bills have had two productive running backs in the past. So um, 
he's one that I I look back on and I go, I think we could have got Elijah Mitchell also won that round. Jalen Warren went at the end of that round. I think we could have got basically a good RB3 there, kind of help our running back build more and still gotten some decent tight end upside later. You still had like Sam Laporta in our queue later on. He did not make it back. Yeah, but, he did not yes, make it back to the 12. Who was some other? Oh, you also had Cole Komet in our queue, who we, we maybe could have gotten at 13.03 there. So Dulcich at 11.03, at and we ended up taking DJ Chark at 13.03, or we could have went Damian Harris and Komet. i probably take the Harris-Komet side, although, you know, obviously not a perfect two-for-two, two-v-two with different positions there, but we would have been able to go different paths with wide receiver later. Anyway, that was the one that stuck out to me was the Dulcich pick. Yeah, it would have been interesting if we're talking about tight ends potentially dominating in the red zone and winning week 17. You've got Komet opposite Pitts. I, I guess I love the Dulcich pit on this team because it allows us to stay with the two tight ends because both of those guys have just such extreme upside. I, I, my position on Warren has gotten, I wouldn't say out of hand, but it's very aggressive now. And I, I like that play. I think he's one of the best picks because I mean, it's almost 50-50, right, that he emerges as the starter in the second half of the season. He's just a lot better than Najee Harris. And so you want that. And at the same time, I don't want to get in a, start to get in a position where I'm just overdrafting him relentlessly because my position is already quite high. <laughs> I don't know. Are you, the, are you higher than 36%? Because that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> I'm not quite that high yet, but it's quickly trending in that direction. If I start taking him at 123, it'll be there in no time at all. So I, I, I like kind of where we were with it. I mean, Miller, very interesting. I think it saves us a roster spot to kind of do it that way. So I like it. Damian Harris, the, the points you made, very, very good points. I'm now, I mean, I actually have a decent amount of him. I had him above ADP in my rankings for a lot of the offseason. I've changed that because, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> I don't want to give like, too hyperbolic a comment on this but as you were saying i mean james cook looks like he is ready to absolutely take off there but yeah it's, it's it's so much fun to draft these teams it's so much fun to look at them after the fact we've had some teams been where we could have maybe done some things differently you can always do things differently but this team i think is just it's so well set up for the tournament i love it i'm glad we did this i'm glad that we got that 103 i mean 103 in, in many cases you could argue is almost the worst pick other than maybe the 108 and yet this is one of my favorite teams i've drafted so far yeah this is going to be great i'm excited to, to see how this one plays out well that'll do it for today's draft version of stealing bananas we appreciate all of you listening through with us there we definitely try and talk a lot about the players and the analysis of their situations as opposed to just the in draft tactics as we mentioned at the start ben's got a bunch of new pieces out and has a great august plan for you you don't want to miss that sign up for stealing signals also make sure you sign up for stealing lines his betting project with dalton cates we'd love to have you guys over at rotaviz the coupon code there is rv radio 2023 at checkout for a 10 percent discount on a one-year subscription we just did underdog if you want to join us there code rotaviz 100 match up to 100 dollars we appreciate all of the feedback that you all left for the previous show. That was an hour and a half, but it was a labor of love for us. And, you know, just for me personally, I'm going to say that 
again, I mean, Ben just does such a fantastic job on these shows and he was fantastic on that one. Hopefully you chime in for that. Leave him some awesome messages. Subscribe to the the newsletter so you get more of that kind of thing. If you leave us ratings and reviews, it does help us with the algorithm. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.